in the in the chat, Junkfish says Stubbs is going down. Uh, Stubbs is doing his own investigation and nabbed her, probably rescuing her. They'll be buddying up in the dark, and he'll show her his dick, and she'll be like, "Not black enough." Boosh. <laughs> Welcome back to Without Limits, a Westworld podcast by LSG Media. I'm Dean. I'm joined by Jessica. Together, we're going to be talking about Westworld. We got the adversary up on the docket today. I'm looking forward to getting to this. Jessica, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty fabulous. Awesome. Um, I am Nothing too. important going on other than this podcast. That's true. Talking about Westworld. Talking about Westworld in this podcast on Tuesday, November 8th. Nothing else is going on in America. 8.25 p.m. I'm pretty sure people are just home in their jammies, not worrying about life or yep. who's going to run their country for the next four years. Nope. Nope. They're huddled around their radios and uh, listening to us broadcast into their ears and talking about Westworld, which is uh, much more compelling than a presidential race. That's for fucking sure. Oh, I agree. So we're here. Um, if this is your first time joining us, we are going to say bad words. We're going to spoil the episode. We may uh, offer up some theories that could potentially spoil future episodes. Unlikely, because uh, what we that's think is happening is seldomly what actually happens. And uh, that's just the way it goes. Um, I will. Uh, we will both start with some initial impressions. We'll move our way through the episode, or explicate, as it's been known to be called. And then we'll wrap with a couple of listener comments and our final thoughts. And that is the way we are going to do things. This episode is being recorded live on Mixler. That's Mixler.com slash LSG-media. Mixler.com slash LSG-media, where we record all of our podcasts live. And another thing, um, we are LSG-media. If you've uh, never heard of us before, check us out. We got a lot of podcasts, about six or so. Um, we're actually shutting down our True Detective feed. Oh, sad We only had the second season on there anyway. But anyway, enough about that. Let's get to Westworld. Jessica, initial impressions for the adversary. Well, let me tell you, there was no Dolores or William this episode, which means my most commonly talked about topic for the show cannot be talked about. I'm sure the listeners are appreciating a break from that. It's going to be pretty weird. Uh, that being said, I actually really liked this episode. Um, I thought that it hit a lot of good beats emotionally. And I know it had some problems. And to be honest, um, it had some really weak stuff. Um, as far as I was concerned, some of the weakest stuff that we've seen in the whole show. Mm. But then it had some really great stuff. Um, and I think an episode where you can have 12 minutes of your screen time be Sizemore being an idiot that I don't give a shit about because he is meaningless and a waste of a character, yep. essentially. And I can still think it's a really good episode that I really enjoyed. That's pretty good. That's yeah. saying something. So it sounds like he was the low point this week. Sizemore was the low point this week. Yeah, and that redheaded ginger douche is still the fucking worst, honestly. Redheaded ginger douche. Yeah, who's friends with the guy that is not a douche, Felix. Yeah, but it's a, but but he but he kind of matters to what's going on. Yeah, he matters, Sizemore but, didn't seem to at all. Douche. He's just there doing his thing. You said douche twice. You can say it two more times and then you're cut off. Um, um, well, there's no um, Logan in this episode, so that's going to be helpful <laughs> with that tally. <laughs> so um, you have um, Sizemore is the low point for you. Oh, my God. No questions. For, of the season, his scenes, I feel like were the worst thing I've seen all season. In this particular episode. I, I think of the whole season, they're some of the worst things I've ever seen. And how about the what? But you also said it's kind of a polarizing episode. That's what I'm hearing. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, there was stuff that a lot of people really didn't like. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, what's the highlight for you? Gosh, I liked a lot of it. I really liked the Maeve stuff. Mm -hmm. And yes, I know about it being unrealistic, the shit that was going on with her, but I don't care. It was beautiful and haunting and lovely. I disagree with all the the naysayers on that scene. I think it was fucking incredible. Okay, I agree. Uh, And I love the Anthony Hopkins stuff. I love the stuff with the family. Yep. Um... I, I like the reveals of the stuff with Arnold. And to be honest, although I have annoyances about it, I even like the stuff with Elsie. But I'm going to complain about the shit she did too. So don't worry. No one think I'm going easy on her. That's cool. But I like that she was, that shit was happening because she was out somewhere and we were getting more information, which I liked. Cool. People are excited about hearing you complain. That's why they tune in. They're looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, it just boy. can't be me. Elsie, what is your problem with Elsie? I don't know. I just hate her sometimes. Okay. Um, so let's talk about um, let's let's talk about a couple other things. So you think probably some of the worst stuff you've seen in six episodes is the stuff with Sizemore, but you think some of the best stuff also occurred in this episode? Yeah. Specifically, Maeve and Ford's home. Yeah, I really do. I mean, I really, really. No, I wasn't excited about them killing the puppy chat room. Chat room wanted to bring up the killing of the dog. No, yeah. I was very unhappy about that. It made me very, very sad that Greyhound looks like a Greyhound I used to know back in the day. It was an emotional experience for me, and I don't want to talk about it. Nice. Well, I happened to think this episode was actually really good. Um, I've seen it's. I've seen some people down on it, and some people are high on it. I happen to really like it. I thought they did a good job with it. Um, the highlight of the season is Maeve. I don't understand people's beef with the scene. Um, I thought it was great. We're going to talk about some of that. Um, I know that, uh, I know that some of the issues that some people had with that scene was, well, why, why are they allowed access up there? Well, who the fuck knows? We, we can say why they allowed or why are they not allowed? Um, I'm sure we could come up with five reasons in each camp and, and go from there. But, um, there's, uh, we can, we can speculate on that when we get there. But I liked it. I thought it was very powerful. I thought it was a very powerful scene. It's um, it's a type of revelation that you just can't really imagine, and um, it's rare for for a show to offer up a revelation that is hard for you to wrap your head around. But when you start to intellectually, you realize the implications of Maeve walking through uh, the quote unquote upstairs area. Uh, this is what I love about the, the Maeve scene is what I love about science fiction. Uh, it's, it's something that, that, the, that the vehicle of science fiction is allowing you to do, and that is we are putting this character in a situation that regular storytelling really can't do. This type of revelation that she is having, you can't do without the fuckery of science fiction. Uh, science fiction is a vehicle used to tell stories with technology that can explore human emotions that you just can't explore without the vehicle of science fiction. And this Maeve scene, in my opinion, is the pinnacle of what science fiction is supposed to do. And that's exactly what Westworld did in this scene. It was haunting. The music was incredible. It was something else. And I know I'm kind of blowing my load on it. We're not even at it yet. But it is a hallmark scene to me in the series at this point. You wanted to say something? This stuff with Maeve and figuring out where she is and the situation she's in. I'm sure a million people have made this comparison and will continue to, but it was very like Battlestar Galactica-esque to me. Sure. The not knowing exactly who you are and then finding out and that devastation of not being what you always thought you were. 
Yep. And that's not spoilery. There are Cylons. People don't know they're Cylons. They find out. And it's that the implications are huge for sure. In that show, it's for the people around them too. Mm -hmm. But just seeing that for Maeve was very, um, it was just very emotionally resonant. It was so well done. Yeah. yeah. I this mean, is, I love Maeve. She's my favorite. She's very quickly becoming my favorite. To put this in, in a different type of framework, you'd have to put this in a beautiful mind situation or uh, something where somebody loses their memory or they're losing their mind or they're questioning their own sanity, which then causes them to question their own realities. But this is, there, there was, um, there was, this was described on a website as, as imagine being plucked from where you are and literally getting a tour of the human condition, all all in one moment, uh, a god or a god in general, whatever god you believe in, be it Judeo Christian or what have you, just taking on a tour of of humanity. That's the type of revelation that that Maeve is getting, in a sense. This is incredible amounts of information to wrap your head around. It would be like somebody literally telling you the mysteries of life the mysteries of your origin, the mysteries of your personality, your attributes, everything. Uh, there's something really compelling about that. Uh, there's something very haunting about that, something very tragic about that, but at the same time, very hopeful about that. And I think the scene does a good job of telling us that whole thing. That that was just such a well-executed like scene. no dialogue at all. The Didn't music was be. perfect. It was just perfect. Perfect. She's, that, a, she's a perfect actress. I that mean. was um, motion picture soundtrack by Radiohead. It was, a, it was an orchestral rendition of it. I forget who does it, but it's, it's incredible. And um, I thought it was really well done. A lot of Radiohead this week. Fake plastic trees in the beginning on the piano. You can never go wrong with Radiohead as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so that's what we had. Uh, that was some standout stuff to me. I also liked some of the... I, I like the clandestine stuff, the clandestine activity with Elsie and getting information and the phone calls and being told that this is the traitor when you're standing in the room with a traitor. That's some spy novel shit that I really liked as well. So there's a thriller, a sci-fi thriller aspect to this as well. Uh, so we had a couple of different moods that came through this episode, and you have that that spy, uh, you know, subterfuge thing going on with 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 Elsie, which is compelling because we know it's really happened. We're observing it; it matters. We can wrap our head around that instantly. It's not like a big mystery. The only mystery is who are the perpetrators. We understand what's actually happening conceptually. Somebody's stealing shit. Okay, we get that. We understand what espionage is. We know what that means versus. What's the maze and this and that and these heady concepts? This is a more uh, easy thing to wrap our head around, which I think is what causes such a visceral reaction. The camera shots of uh, the, 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 some of the POVs as Elsie was trying to get that information, that feeling where she's being watched from a hiding place. I like that. That's, that's horror movie. Scary stuff. It was awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty high on this episode overall, I think. Uh, Sizemore is a train wreck, though. That's for sure. I did want to say too, as we're we've basically briefly mentioned everything that happens in the episode, and you know what else was good too? I liked the stuff with Teddy. Yes, I thought that me there too. were some very interesting things that were hinted at. I thought he gave some very interesting information in regards to the maze, which you can speculate a lot from. I agree, um, and I like the idea of perhaps Teddy is not really a good guy. Sure. Um. So that. That was even that stuff was interesting. And we know poor Teddy, he just gets killed and nobody cares. And you hate James Marsden and he does some shit today. And I liked it. 
Yeah, and, and it's funny because he's just subject to whatever whims, whatever whimsies that Ford puts into him, and then he has to go through that. And uh, I think that's a really good opportunity for James Marsden to flex his acting capabilities. I know, and Jessica will be the first to tell you that, I have never really been high on him, but the reason I've not been high on him before Westworld was really a subjective, completely non-objective reason, and that was because he played Cyclops, and <laughs> I wanted Wolverine to be with Jean Grey, um, and he was in the way. So I just immediately had this reflexive response against him because I was such a Wolverine fan as a kid, and uh, Cyclops was just kind of like a puny dork, and he was just standing in Wolverine's way, and that was uh, the fate. That's how I labeled Marsden in my head is that preppy pretty boy who just kind of stood in the way. I like to see him now kind of rough around the edges, a little more of a, of a bad guy in a sense. I think that's more interesting to me. No, really. And I like James Marsden because he's handsome and I, I really have no other reason to like him because of any fa- great acting he's One done. One star. But you the know what? The female host said that James <laughs> Marsden was attractive and that's why she liked him. She objectified that poor man. But you know what I did is, is the highlight of James Marsden's acting career prior to this. What? 30 Rock. <laughs> He plays such a freaking dirty, you know, Tina Fey's boyfriend. His name is Chris, and it's spelled like C-R-I-S-S. Right, like, that's right. I think his name is Chris Cross or something. It's something totally ridiculous, but he's really stupid and funny. And that's funny. I liked it. That's a great show. So let's, Um, do we have anything else we want to talk about, or should we just dive in? I'm ready to talk about this episode. Don't hang up. I hit pay dirt. I found the person who was smuggling out our data. It was Teresa Bernard. But she's not our only problem. There's something much bigger going on here. I'm going to have to call you back. Hey. What did you find? Okay, so Teresa was using the old bicameral control system to reprogram the woodcutter. But she's not the only one. Someone else has been using the system for weeks to retask hosts. Which hosts? Uh, I don't know. Several of them. It had to have been the older models. The newer ones don't have receivers, but these modifications, they are serious. Changing loops, breaking loops. Some of these changes are to their prime directives, Bernard. They could lie to us. Maybe even hurt us or the guests. Who issued the modifications? I don't know. The best I could tell, uh... Arnold. He's dead. Yeah, well, he's a pretty fucking prolific coder for a dead guy. Whatever argument he was having with Ford, it doesn't seem like he was done making his point. I'm going to transfer all the data and bring it to you. You need to see this. So let's, uh, why don't you do me a favor and take me through Maeve's day. Take me through this opening where she walks to work, just a little Clementine. Let's walk through this uh, sequence of events and then uh, we'll talk about that. We do what we used to always do with Dolores, which is open on her doing whatever, waking up. We've seen this a million times, except today it's Maeve. Right. And she's going through her normal day. She gets ready. She walks to the saloon. She talks to Clementine. Clementine is tired, whatever. She was up all night. We don't know if she was talking or she was fucking, but it was one of the two. Um, Maybe a combination of both. Who knows? Clementine wants to go seduce some guy, and something about him strikes Maeve, as we'll see later, as being violent. Mm-hmm. Is, is what she sees in him. Yeah. And she says, hey, you put your makeup on. I'll take care of this one. And boy, does she take care of him. <laughs> yeah, that was, Um, it didn't occur to me now until you're saying it to me, but we do know that 
she understands what people like. That's part of her. But her design. That's part of her design. And it didn't occur to me that she zeroed on this guy for his, what she took as violent tendencies. And they get back to the bedroom and she taunts him and makes fun of him and prompts him to choke her and I guess kill her. Yeah, definitely kill her. And um, that's that. She makes a joke about by the time I got down to my knickers, I suspect you'd be done. And then um, he anger fucks her, uh, strangles her out. Uh, don't be shy, she says, pushing him over the limit, strangles her out. She wakes up and is greeted by Felix, who says, oh, shit. <laughs> I like Felix. I kind of shut on him last week, I feel like. But he's adorable. Now then, where were we, Maeve says. And we move over to Elsie and Bernard. This is important because not only is Maeve remembering things, but she understands the fact that death means nothing. She knows that what being where being killed is going to put her because we have to understand that she knows these guys' names. So we know that she's done this multiple times. She's been awake while they've been doing things to her, essentially. Sure. sure. Um, and she knows this to the point where she's like, I have to get killed so I can go back there and be with these people who are going to help me figure out what the fuck is going on. Right. In the chat, they say Felix is terrible, but I think he's sweet. I like him too. I think he's the perfect character for for what the he's role doing. he's filling. Sure. Yes. Um, and uh, they asked in the chat, she wanted to kill him, um, so, so she go back. Of course, yeah. yeah, she wanted to be killed so she could go back to the lab. Um, like like you like like we said before, when she's making out with Hector after they stab and they have a bloody vampire make out before they get gunned down. It was hot. She knows that all of this is meaningless. So she's already been planning this out. She already has this in her head, uh, which is great. So Elsie and Bernard, you show this to anyone, Bernard asks her. It did occur to me that it might be you. This is great dialogue from Elsie. Yes. It occurred to me that it might be you, but if you were going to sell us out, it would have been years ago. He's been here forever, are her exact words, which is on purpose to hint that Bernard is a host or to make us think that Bernard is a host. So when he's not a host, we'll be surprised. Now, One of the two is on purpose. The show is confusing as it is, and I'm sure the showrunners are aware of that. Part of me sometimes feels like they just want to feed you something to help you move along now that we're in the sixth episode. So I'm wondering, do you think this line is for that reason, or do you think it's just another thing in an attempt to stumble you up and make you overthink something? What do you think the point of that dialogue is from Elsie? I think Bernard is 100% a host, and based on that assumption, I think that's them just us feeding us them feeding us more hints but if he's not a host then it's them just fucking with us so i don't know how much they're fucking with us okay i don't know how lindelofian this is gonna get yeah well it's not lindelof who i, I know but i'm just saying that that is you know the ultimate like fuckery of making you think things and them not be true right i am not convinced bernard is a host either um, well, they're the most convinced the, this time yeah they're saying in the chat he, um hunter saying he's not a, totally convinced um, should we pause here for, for a discussion about why, or is that going to be more relevant later in the It'll episode? be more relevant later because I think there's more stuff that makes me lean in that direction because you, you know the stuff I was saying when we watched the episode originally. Sure. So let's move along. She talks about industrial espionage. I like that. Bernard asks if she knows what the information transmitting was, and she says, well, it's been smeared all over a rock. However, Bernard says that the Straya was an early model. They use something called a legacy geopositioning system. The new system can't read it, so Bernard says that he's going to have to go downstairs, in quotations, because they use that term a lot. And Bernard goes downstairs. And I'm looking forward to talking about that. Um, Bernard goes downstairs. He finds some information on the stray, but more importantly, he finds out about five of their hosts not registered with the new system. We also get a quick look at Yul Brenner, 
from the 73 movie. And the old logo. Very Since cool. Since somebody in the chat said I would bring it up. Yes, that's right. We do see the old logo on the old computer, which is what William saw. So it's at this point in the episode where I ask myself the following questions. These downstairs trips that they make occasionally, what is the purpose, do you think, of keeping it? You know, it's it's weird. It's almost like, imagine if you were to, if you worked at this place and it was whatever and you wanted to expand upon it and you just built over it but left hoarding. all the old shit. Just hoarding. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. I'm serious. Why do you think... Is it the utility of having the old computer? Should things get weird? Is it a backup mechanism? Was it kept in there? We, everybody accepts the fact that downstairs exists, but we never really question why. We never question why they hang on to all this old tech and they just stick it in a basement and it's literally hooked up and he goes down and just fires the old computer up. Yeah, I don't know. And I think that that's interesting that nothing certain things were disposed of. And I understand too that they have a lot of hosts in cold storage, but I imagine sometimes they swap them out maybe. Maybe hosts go into storage because they're like, we're going with a different storyline. Like when they were talking about putting Maeve into cold storage, maybe they would put her into cold storage. She'd be there for a few years and they'd be like, all right, let's bring her back out. She hasn't been around in a while. Sure. And do you think maybe when they're in cold storage, they require those old computers for some reason? That's I kind of more no, I don't, the old system, see, quote that's, unquote. That's the stuff that is... That must have to do with the fact that there are still those old hosts out there. Sure. There has to be something that Ford's holding on to because it was Arnold and he has not quite cracked the code to it yet. Sure. Maybe, Maybe just in case something happens, uh, some sort of uh, accident happens, they have these legacy machines should they require to access that old programming for some reason. This is something I feel like a computer programmer would know how to answer. Um, if you're out there, let us know if you have any thoughts on it. Hosts at net. Hosts at libertystreetgeek.net. Sometimes people email us and we read them. Like today we might do that. So anyway, we go back to Ford. He walks into a town with some engineers. Everyone freezes, literally. Uh, they're discussing a canyon and where it will go. Ford doesn't want to disrupt the town. He tells them to end the canyon short. So he's walking around with engineers and he's thinking about all these upgrades and changes he's making. He's playing Minecraft with Westworld, essentially. He's going to knock down this. He's going to add this. He's going to move around. So to Ford, it seems to be business as usual. One of the things that doesn't seem to, one of the things that we feel as viewers, we see this thing happening and we're on the edge of our seats and we're wondering, but it seems like business as usual at Westworld outside of the few people who suspect some things. So Ford's still going about his day doing what he's going to do. And um, he walks around he, uh, he, they're going to end the canyon short so they don't have to s- disrupt all these people. He says, carry on. Of course, the town springs back to life. And then he sees a carving of a maze on a table. It disturbs him a little. Mm-hmm. I think he did not expect to see it. He gives pause. This is where Anthony Hopkins is brilliant. It's in these small gestures, these tiny little things that he can do to convey an emotion to the audience quite simply. And this is something that makes him such a great actor. And we see it here. He goes back to his lab. He is so affected by seeing the maze that he goes back to his lab. He pulls out some of his old books, sketched notes. We see a drawing of Dolores. And then a page later, we see this drawing of a maze. And he stops. Those ain't his books. I would imagine that they are not his books. Those are definitely Arnold's books. Dolores definitely belongs to Arnold. What do you think about this? What do you... Ford seems to be, 
the, the more I watch this, this episode for Ford, I want to talk Ford for a minute. What this episode did for me is it seems to confirm in my own mind that Ford is almost as much in the dark about the shit going on as everyone else. The difference is Ford, no, Ford has amazing power over the hosts. He has these programming things built in. Things respond to his command. He can wave his hand. He can point his finger. He can do these things. He's given himself a godlike ability within Westworld. But that doesn't mean he knows about the shit going on, I think. I don't think he knows about this stuff with Teresa. He doesn't know what else he's looking for. He's playing some of this off as no big deal. Meanwhile, he's getting these weird clues about Arnold and wondering about this, that, and the other thing. How much of it do you, how much do you think Ford is impacted by this? Or do you think he's just like, I, I feel like he's becoming the mad genius who's just going about his life while all this other shit goes on behind his back. I think that Ford does kind of know everything and has also, has, has always known everything. He's always been the godlike figure. He's been in charge since Arnold has been gone. Mm-hmm. No one has been able to touch him or do anything behind his back. I think this is him starting to see that something is going on behind his back. Right. And I think this will continue throughout the episode, the thing with the dog. Sure. I think that Arnold, from Beyond the Dead, as a host, as he's still alive, whatever the case may be, I think that Arnold is the only person who can one-up Ford. And in whatever way he's doing it, he's doing it. Period. Right. I don't think, like, Elsie going off and going on these missions on on her own is something that concerns Ford. I don't think he gives a shit about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think... Teresa doing whatever Teresa does concerns him. He takes her down. He scares the shit out of her and he calls it a day. But I think this stuff with the hosts, this idea that there's something that Arnold put in place that he doesn't understand is what rattles him. Right. I agree. Do you think that Ford is concerned that these corporate suits and these, these boards are moving in? Cause nope. they can just, can nope, they just nope, oust nope, him? Nope, and Nope. I don't think he's concerned at all. Why not? I don't know. Why not? But I just don't feel that way. I think that his conversation with Teresa was to show us that he doesn't give a shit. I think the fact that he just pissed on Sizemore's dream storyline shows that he doesn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, the board isn't quite ready to cross him. I think he has maybe friends on the board. Maybe the man in black is on the board. Those are all possibilities. But I think based on the way he dealt with Sizemore and the way he dealt with Teresa... I don't think he gives a shit. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you do you think he feels somehow that he is irreplaceable? That he's one of these guys that because they're talking about a lack of confidence. That Teresa talks to Bernard about it. There's this there's this recurring thing that keeps coming up. There's a lack of confidence in Ford's leadership, and that he may end up being replaced, which means they could just get rid of his ass. I, I think that it concerns me that it doesn't concern Ford because that means that. For some reason, Ford must believe he's either A, untouchable, or B, he doesn't care. I think he thinks he's untouchable, and I think he doesn't care. Um, In the chat, Lone Star Kid says, when you control every host, no one can take him down. And he's right. And that's exactly what he showed Teresa. Mm -hmm. That had her scared. He said, I made this memory from your childhood. I know everything there is to know about you, and I control everybody here. Right. And like we said. Did you say, wait, wait. Just a point of order. You said he, I made this memory, or he just knows about it. No, no if I, I said made. Yeah, but he did. He did make it in the sense that he created this world that she was in that then became a memory. Um, but I guess I didn't word that properly. It okay, sounds just, like yeah, he just, just implants it, memories. I don't think she's a host right, at no, all. I don't either. Well, we don't know how many people are hosts, but he might. Sure. He might say half of the staff are hosts. Little does she know. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. What it sounds like you're getting at is maybe, maybe. 
Ford has an ace up his sleeve, that means that the board can't touch him because he has the ultimate uh, ace up his sleeve that they don't know about. And that not even we just don't that they even don't know, know about. about. He has complete control over all the hosts, mm-hmm. which is again what we saw him show Teresa. Right. When they we're in that situation, he can just stop everybody, and it scared her. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is worth something. Yeah, it's fascinating when you think about it. You know, it, I'm, I'm forced to. Uh, to 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 to, cons- to to consider the idea that he is he has this godlike ability in Westworld, but he is just a man, allegedly at the end of the day, and they could simply go, "You're out, you're fucking crazy, you're done, pack your shit," and he leaves. The concern that they must have, and why they haven't done it yet, is he could lay some sort of fucking time bomb in Westworld that could cause all kinds of mayhem and stuff. But of course, but 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 it makes me wonder. There's, there is, he, he he has enough power to where he doesn't really seem concerned about it whatsoever, even though they control funding and everything. He could literally turn to the hosts and say, murder fucking everybody. Sure. He's untouchable. Right. He's untouchable. Now, without getting too meta, he could say that, but then he's going to walk out of, assuming Westworld is a place that you have to leave. He can't just massacre everybody and have no repercussions. He's going to get arrested. He's like, assuming there's a world out there. But. He can't just, right. you see what I'm saying? It's not, I do. Westworld is not, unless it is, unless Westworld is the only fucking place. It's not like this is the entire world. He no, has I repercussions know. for his behavior. But I'm just wondering. I, I don't want to go off on a tangent on that. You just, have to look at the way think. he scared Teresa. Sure. With how powerful he is. And this is the same thing when we talk about Maeve and how, how everyone's like, why didn't those guys just change her level to dumb and put her in sleep mode? Because sometimes people are fucking scared sure. when something seems more powerful than them and you do stupid shit and you don't think about the stuff we think about when we're like armchair quarterbacks. Yeah. That, and that I feel thing, like that's, I, but I feel like this, this is the same thing here. Mm-hmm. He just said, I control every fucking human being in this park. Right. They're, they're, they're all under my control. That's fucking scary. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're trying to make a move against them anyway. It seems like Teresa is. Right. But he said, I already talked to somebody from the board and they approved it weird. Hmm. Right. It's possible that Teresa is not even being used as some, uh, it seems clumsy for Teresa to leave footprints. Maybe somebody was using her. Who knows? We'll get to that. Yeah, I don't think Teresa's on that She's too fucking boring. Um, I like Teresa actually. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about, um, Teddy and the man in black. Teddy says some things about the maze that I would like to quote here. Well, you have the direct quotes. I just wrote down a bunch of snippets. Good work. The maze is the sum of a man's life. The choices he makes, the dreams he hangs on to. There at the center is a legendary man who has been killed countless times, but always clawed his way back to life. The man returned for the last time and vanquished all of his oppressors in a tireless fury. He built a house, and around that house, he built a maze so complicated only he could navigate through it. I reckon he had seen enough of fighting. What do you think of Teddy having a POV on the maze? Pretty fascinating, I think. I think it's interesting that Teddy has a POV on the maze that shows that Teddy is certainly more important than we all thought, at least since the most recent update. Since the most recent update. Um, And I think what he says about the maze is very fascinating. Coming from the guy who's been killed a million times and comes back to life. (laughs) Right. Just saying. Not that I think he's at the center of the maze. But the idea that it's the sum of the man's life at the center is a legendary man who has been killed countless times, came back to life, killed the process, blah, blah, built a house in a maze around it. Isn't it funny that we saw Ford's little family in a house in the middle of the woods in Sector 17 where no one's allowed to go? 
Yep, I think that is. Uh, I think that says something. Um, we're starting to see that maybe the idea of this maze is up for interpretation between whoever is viewing this particular maze. I agree. Uh, perhaps it's literally uh, for Ford. Perhaps it's a literally a maze around which he built this house that he's insulated himself from. Uh, if 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 this quote rings true, and uh, he's died and come back many times, was tired of fighting, built a thing around him. There's a lot more to Ford than meets the eye, that's for sure. What if maybe this maze to uh, Dolores represents a type of freedom uh, in, in finding consciousness, uh, right. traveling through this brain maze to get to the center where this person is, and that person represents some sort of consciousness? Uh, what if the maze to the man in black means, uh, and I'm just throwing out fucking every theory that you've heard, what if, the, what if it, to the man in black it means I am... I am looking for, I'm old, I'm an old man, I'm at the end of my rope, I don't got much time left, maybe I got some sort of disease, maybe I'm dying, maybe if I can get to the center of this maze, I can literally find some Live sort forever. of immortality. But And I think that there's a lot to that and the idea that now this house with this family that's in the middle of this whatever, even if it has nothing to do with that, but that was Arnold, he made that family, we already talked about that. Well, Ford explicitly states that Arnold Exactly. Right. So... Again, even this house at the center of the thing that we're saying is like, okay, well, it was Ford's life, but it's Arnold that built it. Yep. And I really think it's going to have to do something with this idea of immortality and then sure. Arnold being dead, but not really being dead. And I, the idea that the man in black is sick, Possibly. dying perhaps. Possibly. Um, although they haven't given us, which I'm grateful for, if he is sick and dying, the freaking telltale, like he coughs some blood into a fucking <laughs> handkerchief, like in Moulin Rouge, like, yeah, oh, right. I have tuberculosis. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank fucking God we haven't done that yet. Sure. Next week they'll do that and I'll just kill myself. <laughs> sure. Um, so that's good stuff. Teddy, Teddy's great here. They come across a man in a carriage who reports trouble in Pariah and the soldiers ended up closing the border. So the man in black and Teddy discuss how to cross the border. Teddy has an idea. He ain't concerned about getting dirty. Um, and, and the man in black starts to say, wow, Teddy, you are surprising me, man. You are, uh, you got some vinegar in you, boy. It looks like you're ready to uh, get after a little bit. And I like the man in black's surprise at Teddy because he's seen Which Teddy die so many yes. times. Yes, and I love that this continues throughout the whole episode more and more. It's really great. Let's talk about Maeve and Felix. I still think Felix is sweet. Felix is a sweetie. He's just a nervous little dude who wants to keep his job. Don't hate on him. Uh, Felix is finding it impossible not to humanize Maeve, which which really helps her. Is she dressed in this scene or not yet? Not yet. Not yet. She'll be dressed later, though. And that's that's going to be what happens. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Everything you do, it is because the engineers upstairs programmed you to do it. So here are some pretty heartbreaking revelations for Maeve. Um, but they don't get too crazy with them right away. They are just... Mm, at the end of the scene, they really... At, at the end of the scene, they start to ramp them up. Um, Felix tells her that she, that it's part of her character. You are hard to get. Even when you say no, it was because you were made to. Felix tells her that he is human like the guests. And she says, how do you know? This is so true. It's very poignant to this whole show. And she says, we feel the same. Like she touches him. And he's like, yeah, but what I have up here, like I was born, you were made. Mm -hmm. Maeve thinks she was born too. And this is the thing and why we're saying anybody could be a host and anybody could be human because no, Maeve was not born. She was made, but in her mind, she was born. Right. She has memories for a whole life. I am sure. Sure. And that's where Just you can like Felix do. does. 
I think we're always sitting on the couch watching this with our friends um, because I was born, you were made. And I said, I don't see the distinction. And I was kind of being glib. But my point is, what difference does it make if you are experiencing all of the same things? What difference does it make? It's just a different type of mechanical process, right? It's just a different type of process that breathes consciousness into this thing. And that's something that anytime you're talking about artificial intelligence, that's what you're dealing with. Uh, this is a this was something that Star Trek: The Next Generation loved to explore with data, right? This was always: Are you right. sentient? Are you yourself? Do you have rights? Do you own yourself? What are you? Do you deserve things? Do you have choice? Are you a toaster? Are you a refrigerator? No, you're something different, right? You're conscious. You think, therefore, you are weird. <sighs> and that's that's where we're getting at with Maeve. Um, how do you know? Is a great question. I was born, you were made. She says, "Well, we feel the same. We feel the same way." And this is very existential philosophy here. Yeah, for sure. And then we are the same these days. One big difference, though. And, and it's funny that he actually admits to her. He says to her, we are the same these days. One big difference, though. The processing power is way beyond what we have in our minds, essentially. But it has one big drawback. Drawback: You are under our control. Well, their, their control. control. He corrects. They can change you however they'd like, make you forget. Well, I guess not you. That's important. That little stumble of dialogue, he Mm -hmm. says. I don't understand how you're remembering all this or how you are waking yourself up. But everything in your head, they put it there. So this is wild shit here. Uh, I could do a whole podcast, well, probably not a whole podcast, about this next movement. I'll show you, he says. He tells her that she can improvise a little, but most of what you say was designed upstairs, same as the rest of you. Maeve speaks and watches her words mapped out as she literally speaks them, maybe even a split second before it. And it ends up malfunctioning her. Now, I don't really want to go on a tangent on this, but this gets into the whole idea of free will. And there is a neuroscientist out there who I am a fan of, and he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast before, and his name is Sam Harris. And he challenges the idea of free will. And he says that thoughts that enter your mind that you then say, you don't control when they enter your mind. So it's almost pointing to this thing with Maeve. She's literally saying things and the thing is predicting what she's going to say. Right. Presumably, if Sam Harris is right and free will is a myth and we're literally, the things that we, like me talking right now that I'm deciding to say, it's just sort of coming to me. It's just sort of coming to me as I'm saying it means my brain is going and I'm spitting the words out of my mouth. If you had sophisticated enough technology, it could predict what I was going to say, presumably, because your mind is a machine that is fucking going and making this crazy shit. And this dude has this whole talk about it. He has this whole fucking conference on it. It's an hour long. Look up Google, do yourself a favor, favor, Google Sam Harris talks about free will. And he talks about, he's like, think of a, he goes, think of a vacation spot. Boom. And something comes into your head. He goes, did you have a choice to think of that spot? No, it just came into your head. And that's, that's kind of what he's getting at here. And it gets into this whole fucking thing and it's wild. It's totally mind blowing. I highly recommend checking it out. I apologize about my tangent, but it's. I disagree with everything this man says. Cool. Um, <laughs> you should listen to it sometime. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, you've talked to me about it before and I just, I just don't agree with it. Okay. Um, I recommend doing some uh, some research on it before you come to any conclusions. I, I haven't come to a conclusion because I don't know enough about it. It was just fascinating. Um, but yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild that 
something will pop into your head and you don't really have a choice for it to. It just kind of does and it enters your mind. You have a choice if you want to say it or not. If you like. Maybe, maybe not though. Like if you asked me a question, if you were like, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? I can tell you or I could say the second thing or I could have some predetermined response that I'm going to say. Or, right. Like I have a choice about what I'm going to say. You have a choice about what you're going to say based off the things that entered your mind. But I could say, well, why didn't you say Alaska? Why didn't you say something different? Because you, you weren't really choosing. They just entered your mind. Do you see what I'm saying? And you picked from a selection of things your mind presented to you. It went, here are some things. And you picked one. And that's all I'm saying. Again, it, I, I'm, I'm not versed. I'm not a neuroscientist, number one. Okay? So I don't have the expertise to talk about this. I'm just saying, check it out. That's all. And I thought it was wild. She's looking at this tablet and saying shit and it's fucking mapping out. How mind-blowing was that? she's trying to say something different and she can't. I know. And that's where at the end she was like, bruh, 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 and she gets all crazy. It and shuts her down. It shuts her down. It's wild. So it's pretty crazy. I highly um, I highly recommend checking out that same Harris thing though. But um, yeah, she malfunctions. And now Felix is freaking out because this is some shit he would be terminated for, right? If he destroys a host. Right. If he fucks up its brain or at least he get in trouble for it. So he has a mini freak out, but we give him a little break. We move over to Teresa and Bernard. Teresa and Bernard. Uh, Ford knows about us. So she's breaking up with Bernard. Interesting timing. Rude, honestly. Interesting timing if there's fuckery afoot. Right? Wait. Oh, if she's doing fucking If she's fucking around. She's shit. like, let me start cutting ties. Right? She actually likes Bernard and doesn't want him to get involved with her fuckery. But I also don't think she fucks around because I just think she's just not that. Yep. But she could be, and that would be awesome if she actually was doing evil shit. I don't think she is. I like it. We know that there's been somebody. We know that there's a spot. Yes. Could easily be her. It's too easy to make it a host. Um, it, it would be awesome if it was her. If that was actually the truth, I would love that. And in that moment where we got that information, I was really excited about it. But then too. I was like, nah. No. But if it is her, I'd be thrilled. I think yeah. that would be great for the show and for Teresa as a character. I, I feel like it would almost make sense because she's doesn't have she's like got rudimentary knowledge of all this stuff i could see her maybe leaving tracks behind that somebody like elsie could ferret out with enough determination right right but she does she does call things off with bernard which i thought was interesting um and that's when she gets right into ford's questionable leadership but what does bernard say i don't think ford's the problem right he always sticks up for ford but I thought just the same like thing. The host. I thought, I don't think he is either. He's not part of this whole main thing. He's just doing his own shit. And he's uncovering parts of a mystery, a different mystery, which is going to tie into this. I, if Bernard is a host, the idea of him being protective of Ford mm -hmm. would fit with that theory. Right. As well. Which he is. He never, even when he says, I'm a little worried about Ford, he still never totally sells him out at the end. He's stopped by Elsie. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, hmm. I'm getting ahead of myself. But. That's okay. So she tells him that uh, it's not his call. So if there's nothing else, we're done. Uh, she essentially says, I don't care that you're not concerned, but it's not your call. I'm just telling you that there's a lack of faith in his leadership as of late, and it's a concern. And it's not your decision whether or not we make a move on that. She's just saying, I thought you should know. Yeah, whatever, Teresa. I'm down on her right now. Maybe because I just love Bernard. Okay. But I'd be high on her if she's doing evil shit. I like Teresa. So let's move over to Felix and Maeve. Here we go. I like both of these peeps. So he works at fixing Maeve. He, he's successful. And she goes right into it. She, you said upstairs. I want to see it. Felix says no. 
She rubs his hand, and we start Maeve's tour. Oh, God. This is incredible. I don't care what anyone says. I understand the idea that, like, wouldn't they know that he's walking through? Because at first, that's how I felt. I felt nervous. Mm -hmm. And the first time I watched it, I loved the scene, and I turned to, we were watching with friends, and I said, that was amazing. That was incredible. It was awesome. But I felt nervous the whole time, like Felix was going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. The second time, I didn't feel that way at all. Me neither. And I loved it even more. You know what? People probably do this shit all the time with the hosts, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, how do they know he's not just testing somebody? Right. They don't know. And that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. Felix is walking upstairs. Let's let's address people's concerns with it, which I'm not saying are not valid, but perhaps we can creatively explain our way around it. I don't think that it really matters. All those people are working. They don't care. He's walking up there with a host. These people have no fucking clue about the shenanigans going on with the hosts right now. It's not like there's some sort of general alarm where the hosts are having an issue and everyone's being briefed. It's very quiet. It's business as usual. Right. They might just think he's taking her for a fucking stroll. They don't know that she can't have her mind wiped. They don't know about reverie shit. They don't know about any of this shit. No, it's true. They don't know what's going on the way we know what's going on. They're not on high alert like we are on high alert. I don't think it really matters. I think if one of Stubbs' guy, guys was walking through the hall and said, hey, what the fuck are you doing up here? Get in the elevator, get back downstairs. Why are you up here? And then, uh, right. and then they might launch an investigation. But that didn't happen for timing purposes, whatever, for storytelling purposes, whatever. But I don't think people are restricted from going upstairs. I just think they're not really supposed to be fucking walking around up there. Right. But it's not like it's a, it's a restricted area. It's not a military installation. I think that he was afraid that he'd get caught because Maeve is totally off script and doing her own shit. And he knows that that's bad and he's worried about that. But nobody yes. else knows that's going on except exactly. him. That's why he was so nervous the whole time, yes. but nobody else cared Correct. because it wasn't completely abnormal to everybody else. People right. take hosts out to the corner and have sex with their unconscious bodies <laughs> and get away with it. I mean, Elsie's probably going to be on this shit. I think, but other than that... I think that people do it all the time, too. I think, I think it's a common occurrence for people to do stuff and they see him walking them up. Somebody probably giggled under their breath like this fucking perv is going to bang her in the broom closet. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what? I did it three weeks ago too. What can I say? I don't think the, 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 ang the anxiety we feel is what we, because we know what's going on. And that's why Felix also feels that anxiety, but yes. we don't see it. And you know yes. what? This makes me like it even more. Sorry. Yes. I know everybody hates it. Um, not everybody. God, I think it's just fucking gorgeous. It's it's beautiful. And Dandy, whatever the hell her Newton. name is, Sandy Newton. My God, what a great actress she's she is. Awesome. She is incredible because she's she's fascinated. She's saddened. She she doesn't know how to process and, and you can see it all in her face. It's so well done. The music is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's a radio head. It sounds very losty to me. Like mm -hmm. it reminds me of Lost when they're doing an emotional scene, like the type of music they play and the sure. feeling they make. And I just this is one of the absolute best things that I've I've seen in this awesome. whole series. I loved it. Me too. And I read that some people didn't like it. That's and fine. I watched it again and I loved it more the second time. So Yeah, it was good shit. It was it was beautiful yeah. and sad Tragically and haunting. Beautiful. And yes. it was it was just perfect. I liked it a lot. It could not have been better. And and especially like seeing the dead bodies, seeing everything. She went through the whole process, seeing the dead bodies being clean, seeing the host being created, seeing their personalities, watching scenes play out to finally seeing herself on that fucking screen and being like, how do you know about my dreams? 
What's, oh my God. Was that not amazing? Did you not feel something at that? I did. What was so incredible about this scene is her seeing the sum of her existence in a few moments. Uh, I think there's something about that that's wild. Uh, she sees uh, hosts freshly dead, being clean. She sees hosts having sex. She sees hosts getting into a gun battle. She sees animals. She sees the sum of her existence in a few rooms. And that's what I mean. This is such an odd scene. This is something you can only really do with science fiction, this type of gut-wrenching revelation, that the sum of your existence can be hemmed into these few rooms. Uh, That does something to a person, which we're going to call Maeve, uh, because of the way she's programmed, the way she's uh, outgrown her programming, the way she's evolved. It does something to her. It makes her feel uh, almost this being reduced to this animated flesh, like she's a puppet. And there's something really haunting about that. And you, and and we can't process this. And like so many other things have, like I said, Battlestar Galactica, the freaking Truman show. Like people have, have done this before where it's like all of a sudden you realize your life is not real. It's not what you think it mm-hmm. is. And we're all sitting here right now and we know we're humans, right? Because we were born. Sure. But what if we're fucking not? What if this has all been programmed? What if I'm a freaking host? Who the hell fucking, Simulation who knows? theory, baby. It's just, it's crazy to think. And I, I really do believe that we have the technology that we're going to be at that, like, ex machina point where we can make, I don't know, sentient, I really do. Like, it's just crazy. I just, I feel like the idea of her going through this and that she's a human who believes that she is, has lived a human's life and then being told she hasn't, mm-hmm. it's very uh, it's like devastating. It's I don't even know how to talk about it. I just just stumbled through a bunch of crap that meant nothing because I what the show showed us was the best way to do it. I concur. It was great. Uh, she how 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 did you have my dreams? That was in a previous oh, God, build, a previous beautiful. what she says. Uh, I've been at the Mariposa for ten years, and uh, it goes on here he's like no sorry only for a year they don't rewrite you completely they could but it is too much work it takes thousands of hours of work to rebuild you completely they just tweak you um and one one more thing just about the idea of him breaking protocol and going upstairs he knows that he's not supposed to but he brings her up there anyway and he is a little bit nervous um but i ultimately think if he thought he was really going to get terminator or incarcerated for this he wouldn't have done it I think self-preservation would have overridden his fear of Maeve. Um, so Sylvester strolls in real hot. That's his name? Yeah. Because you know what I call him? Don't say it, please. <laughs> Don't you dare say it. You know. Don't say it. I didn't know he had a name. He comes in a little hot. You're fucking obsessed, man. Next thing you know, you're going to be wearing her dress. Fuck this. I'm telling QA. I'm telling my mommy on you. He's actually the worst. And I know I said Logan was the worst so many times, but I was so wrong. Logan is a sweet angel compared to this idiot. At least Logan has gumption. This guy's the worst. So Maeve grabs him. You're not going to tell anyone anything. She threatens him with a scalpel, I think. Yeah, good work, Maeve. Take that scalpel. And that's when she gets into, I know that you want to fuck me over the first chance you get. Everyone has something they want. I could help you or gut you like a trout. Despite what is in here, we are not so different. Boom. So Maeve gets aggressive, and we cut over to Teresa and an unknown Chinese man. 
And she unknown says, Chinese man. I wrote un- unknown Chinese man. Uh, she says, yes, I understand the urgency. I wrote, we see Teresa talking to some foreigners and smoking a cigarette. That was my notes. Um, I think we're kind of setting her up as the spy. I don't think she's a red herring. Sure. And if so, I'm really high on that. I would yeah. like Teresa to be a spy. Sometimes when you deal and with... And then Bernard will kill her because he's a host. Sometimes when you deal with a show like Westworld, you get into this thing where you start to out try to outthink it and, and you don't have to because they're just obviously showing you something that's a truth. <laughs> but sometimes we're so concerned with a mystery that we look past the truth assuming it's misdirection. Story of my could, life with the show. I know, right? It could simply just be fucking the truth. They're right. showing us clues for the reveal so at the Teresa's end. So Teresa's actually a spy. I'm going with it. All right, I'm really happy about this now. All right. Why I feel you? really good. Why do you feel good? Because I want Teresa to be a spy. Yeah, it does make her more interesting. Yeah, I really would like that. So Lee and Teresa, they chat at the bar. Teresa needs help. Ford has created holes in over 50 narratives. He says he can help. So whatever Teresa's moonlighting as, she is still trying to continue uh, day-to-day operations. She's at work. She's got 50 narratives that have holes in them because Ford is just fucking wholesale cutting a swath of destruction. Uh, through the physical area of Westworld, as well as a bunch of narratives by displacing people. Teresa tells him to get it out of his system because he's a drunk fucking slob. If Ford can't pull this off, the board will be looking for a replacement, but they won't be looking here. Damn. So I believe in one of the early episodes, I felt like she was almost teasing like, Lee, you could take over for Ford. Yeah. And now she's saying no. What, What do you think she meant by this? I don't know. I think that she's trying to scare him so he gets back on board and goes back to work maybe because she knows that he's anti-Ford. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. I literally He is anti-Ford. And the second time I watched the scene, I didn't even pay attention. I started like Googling, I don't know what, like is Teddy something? Like I don't even know. I was Googling like Man in Black being William again. Like I I can't. I hate, I hate him. I hate him and I hate the scene. I hate when people play drunk and it's so obvious and you're like drunk people are actually not even like, I, I don't know. It was just awful. I hate him. It was awful. Okay. He's my new worst favorite person. Do you have anything objective to say? How is that not objective? (laughs) He's the fucking worst. The scene was annoying. Lee is a horrible character. The actor is going way too over the top and it's ridiculous. Unless he is a host that's designed to be a ridiculous drunk. Okay. I'm uninterested in him. You stated your point. Let's move on. So Teddy and the man in black. Teddy suggests they shoot their way through and use the tunnel, of course, to cross over. Uh, The man in black, Ford, gave you some extra vinegar. I need you to find Wyatt. Uh, they see two soldiers riding away from camp. Cut to them wearing their uniforms. Like I love that the part. Fucking Death Star. I love. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Exactly. When all of a sudden they're stormtroopers. And he's recognized. Fuck me! It's Teddy Flood. I know why he didn't kill all those men by himself. The man says. Yeah, thus you know what hinting. I wrote? Hmm. Dot. 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 I wrote my notes. Ooh. The soldiers' dialogue suggests that Teddy and White did some murdering together as a couple of couple of peas in a pod. Well, that's not what Teddy told me. Was that too loud? No, you're fine. Oh, you just look scared. So Lee hits on the uh, corporate oh, chick a little bit. Yes, I have to say about corporate chick. She's very, very pretty. Charlotte, she is a gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, don't understand why we're introducing her into the show. I hope we don't see much more of her until season two. Well, Already have enough characters to deal with. Well, we'll see. She could be the. She might be representing the outside world. She would legit never bang Lisa Eisenhower ever. That's true. But, she's way too fucking pretty. But to your original point, um, I think that she's going to represent the the outside world. Yeah, more I in season two. God hopes. I think so. But hey, you got four episodes. You got this one, seven, eight, nine, 
10, right? So she might be she might be in fucking I mean, Dolores wasn't in this episode. She could technically be in well, I guess not. But anyways, um yeah, someone a uh, junk fist in the chat, cliched scene. We all know she's getting some info here. Come on now. Sure. It, so cliched. It was so clear that she was somebody because you're like, why are we wasting time on size more flirting with some random hot girl at the pool? Of course. And of course she's so she drinks water, not alcohol. Because she's fucking working. Mm-hmm. You can't drink alcohol and work at the same time, guys. Can't go to the Mesa bar and get hammered if you're a big I mean, shot. You can, but you're gonna get fired. Um so yeah, they just he laments about QA breathing down his throat. He tells her that the robots can go off script a little bit, but it's more of a vanity project from the megalomaniac who created this place. Uh, tortured artists only work for artists. Sober up and get back to work. That's hilarious. That note that Teresa left him with the bartender. That was great. I love Teresa. It's funny. I just wanted to tell you what the read you my notes I took for this whole scene. This is my note for this okay. whole scene. I, I wrote one sentence. You ready? Ready. Sizemore flirts with some chick, blah, blah. I hate the storyline, but she is very pretty, exclamation point. Perfect. He says, fuck this job. We move over to Elsie and Bernard. I'm close to finding our saboteur, she says. The tracking data is timestamped. Once I cross-reference it with sat tracking, we're going to find out who is programming them to smuggle data. Hell, Elsie is a fucking dog on the bone. She's getting involved in some Tom Clancy shit. I like it. Elsie talks about how the suits will be happy when they realize what she did. She's talking about how she's going to get unlimited Mesa bar access, which I'm guessing is what we just saw Lee in. Yeah, this bitch is about to get promoted. She's going to take Teresa's room. Perk. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Little does she know that Bernard's like, I already been in Teresa's room. Mm. It's a good room. We move over to Bernard asking about progress on the sector he was investigating, which he learns has been designated off limits. So he's like, fuck, I got to go investigate this shit. Yeah, because there were five anomalies in Sector 17. That's right. And we're about to meet those five anomalies. We sure are. Talk to me about Ford's house. So, Arn, uh, Arnold, <laughs> whoops. Bernard heads to Sector 17, and this reminded me of Jurassic Park so much. <laughs> I know, right? I was like, holy shit, Michael Crichton everywhere. Like, you come up in the little elevator, then you're out in the jungle. And I feel like the first time we were watching, we we're like, are there going to be velociraptors here? <laughs> like, what's about to happen? Don't move. Their vision's based off of movement. Yeah, I feel like I feel like somebody, maybe me, made a joke about dinosaurs popping out. Anyway, he finds a house, which is not what anybody expected. I don't think it certainly wasn't what I expected. Inside the house is a family, including Minnie Ford, who, by the way, I have called Minnie Ford since the first time we met him. I know everybody else did too, but I was one of those everybody else's, so it's just fine. Very cool. Um. There's a man there, and Bernard says, are you Arnold? And the man says, who the hell is Arnold? Well, sir, based on how you look in the photograph I saw of Arnold, you are. <laughs> You're Arnold. They're the same fucking person. It's the same image. For fucking sure. Right. Which doesn't say anything. So other it than could say the, the following things. things. It could say the following things. I just watched the episode three again, where he... Is talking to Bernard about this place when it started. And we get that really awesome flashback of young Anthony Hopkins. Which is the best thing I've ever seen in my I life. I just watched it again. They're talking. He hands him the picture. And he never really explicitly states that this here is Arnold. He just hands him a picture. They're talking a little bit about it. He's very vague on purpose. So it can only mean one of two things, which is what? Go. Which is that photo was always a photo of Ford's dad and he just handed it to Bernard to be a fucking weirdo. Mm -hmm. Two, Bernard... Ford was lying, essentially. Right. Two, 
Bernard is Arnold and he has Arnold's conscious. And for whatever reason, he doesn't recognize the photo. He sees something different than what's actually there. Just like how that picture of the girl from New York, they're not supposed to see that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they're programmed that way. Three, Arnold is actually Ford's dad. No, I don't think so. But here's what I will say. I mean, here's what I will say. I think he lied about the photo. I think it's a total lie. Here's why I think it's a total lie. Okay, go. Because in this scene, Ford talks about how, and, and, and I want to just talk about the, this scene sort of echoes Maeve's scene in a weird way. And, and this has to mean something. The show didn't accidentally put the same guy in both situations. It's not an accident. Yeah. It could have just been a lie. Here's why I think it might be a lie. I think it might be a lie because, it, first of all, let's talk about this place in general. Yeah. Uh, so Ford designed all these people. And, and he made, you know, he says an artist often outdoes himself. It's usually better than the real thing type of situation, which is when Ford responds by saying, I've updated my father a little to make him more like he's supposed to be. They show him drinking. Right. In my opinion, if this did not look like Ford's father, he would have changed his appearance. I think when Arnold made these, these, these hosts, he made them exactly the way they were supposed to look which is the impression I get from the way Ford responds to them. I don't think if this guy didn't look like his dad, Ford wouldn't go here to visit his old family, which we right. need to talk about in general too. So that means he's lying about the photo. He wasn't, unless, unless Arnold is, unless they are the same person, which is really, I'm not going to even get into that. No, right I now. mean, it's, it's possible. It's possible. I, I trust me. I went down that rabbit hole for like an hour today. <laughs> it, it's possible. Now let's talk about this. Arnold, I mean, Ford, th- this this scene is so awesome to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, these hosts did not respond to Bernard's commands. Yep, which is very Freeze important. motor functions. They didn't listen. Ford had to step in, number one. Number two, this echoes Maeve's scene a little bit. Maeve has these crazy, beautiful, and tragic revelations, whereas Ford has this pocket in time, untouched by the outside world, that he can visit. It's going to be hard for him to erase that. Uh, it's hard for it's hard for most people listening to this podcast because we are not the age that Anthony Hopkins is today. We're not 70, 80 years old. Oh, this is Anthony Hopkins. He's we, awesome. It doesn't matter, but he is old. What we don't, the perspective most of us do not have while we're watching this episode of television is we don't have the perspective that he is a man that, that we don't have the perspective, unless we are his age, of what it's like to sort of be at the end of your life. I mean, that's crazy to think about, but that's a reality most of us hopefully get a chance to deal with. And that's, imagine if you could walk back anytime you wanted into this house, which had you as a child, your, young, your parents younger, you younger, a different time. That is fucking intense, man. That is something that, only somebody Anthony Hopkins age or anybody that age can really understand is that ability to almost walk back in time to experience this thing. That's why I said it kind of echoes Maeve's scene a little bit emotionally. There's resonance here for Ford. I agree. But but I think even, I don't think you have to be 78 years old to... Not to understand it, but I should really feel it. it, it it's... I, I, I don't know. And this is why the idea of Dolores, if Dolores is based on somebody from Fort. So we already know that Arnold is basing people on your past. 100%. We also know that Arnold specifically said, oh gosh, where's the stupid quote? 
Um, a great artist always puts himself in his work, which is why he said Ford he said built that, this family. Yes, he said Arnold, but Ford said Arnold said that. Right. That's why Arnold's built this family, right. which means that if Arnold put Ford's family in here, there's got to be some Arnold's somewhere, right? Sure. A great artist always puts himself in his work. I mean, it could mean that Arnold and Ford are, are somehow related. I mean, we're, we could be really getting to that. They had to know that people were going to pick up on the photo and that it was going to be the same person in the house. I mean, them as in the showrunners. But it's pretty intense to think about this sanctuary he has that he can't really let go. And he goes there and he talks to his younger self. Yeah, who are they? Ghosts now. Exactly. Uh, imagine having the opportunity to talk to yourself as a child. You would do it. You would do that. Oh, God. Ooh, I would tell myself so many things. But it's um, wild. It's wild how um, he just so coldly is like, turn the other cheek, and the kid's head goes... And I was going to say that, too. And, and this up. is stuff to take note of. They talk about the older models, and a lot of people have gotten on me about this, saying, well, the older models don't bleed. They're not going to seem that human. This little boy seemed so human that there was a point where the man in black thought that he could use his blood to save Teddy sure. when this thing obviously doesn't have blood. Sure. So the models obviously look just as good in either case. It's just what's on the inside that's different. Sure. That's um, what I was saying too. Which is in Men in Black said it as much. It used to be beautiful pieces, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I do want to address something in the chat real quick. Sure. Uh, Junkfist said, Ford and Bernard are standing to either side of Dadbot and Bernard's invisible to himself because he's Arnold. I read that on Reddit. That's a, There's a big thread on Reddit with that whole theory. That he doesn't, that Bernard doesn't literally see himself in those pictures because that's who he in fact is. Does that make sense? What he's saying? That's that's right, all over so Reddit. Yeah. What? So Arnold is Ford's brother, perhaps. Perhaps, but I guess that's I can I guess because he would see himself as, right. Right. Anyway. Now I don't obviously Bernard doesn't look like how Arnold looked. Obviously, right. if he's right. Anthony Hopkins' brother, which now I'm going on this theory because what if did we hear the brother's name? So could it could they have been brothers who Possibly. did this together? Sure. And that's why the photo that he shows is the photo of him and his dad and the brother would be on the other side, but Bernard doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I know there's a there's a big theory about that going on going on, on Reddit. The um the idea that Bernard's invisible to himself because he's Arnold. That's uh, something going around on the on the internet. I'm just saying that the brother, because of the fact that there was the photo where it was the father in Ford. And then what if there was also another person in the photo that Bernard didn't see because it was basically himself? No, I don't know about that. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think he's just saying, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying that Bernard can't see himself because he's in fact Arnold. That's all. I know that. I know that's a big theory on Reddit, but he can't see himself. What do you mean? Like in a fucking mirror <laughs> or he was in that photo I don't, I, honestly, I don't want to get off on a tangent on it. You'll have to just look it up. I don't want to turn, I don't want to go off on that tangent. I like to be on top of all these crazy theories and now no. I feel like I failed. You're fine. Uh, let's move on. Uh, so. I still think Arnold could be Ford's brother. I'm now. What do you. This what, is my new theory that I like. It's totally random, but. Well, why not? Who else would you build up? If I was going to build a fucking theme park where people shot each other and did all these things, I, I would do it with my sister. Why would you turn him into a black guy, though? Why wouldn't you make him the way he looked? He, he's clearly a, a white guy. Because I feel fairly certain that Arnold built Bernard and wanted to make sure it didn't look like him so that Ford wouldn't know. I don't Duh. Know. I don't know. We'll see. 
I win. Someone mark that down that I said that. It's terrible. Honestly, it's awful. Um, So yeah, it's terrible. So can we move on from that, please? So Bernard and Ford um, chat a little bit more. He calls them ghosts, as we know. I I like this stuff. This is really touching. Uh, This is this is really touching stuff. I think it's awesome. And I like that the moment that you really realize that this is Ford and his family, the confirmation is when the fucking Greyhound walks in. Awesome. And you're just like, holy shit. Good old that was not just because I love dogs and I was super excited to see a dog. That was still an awesome moment because then you realize like this is his family. Mm-hmm. This is the dog before it died, before that story, you know, when things were still okay. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. And it was a cute Greyhound. I really liked him. So Lee pisses on the map. <clears throat> Are you finally complete, Mr. Sizemore? Teresa says, which is just so awesome. Uh, Lee meets Charlotte Hale, executive director of our board. She's overseeing transitions in administration. Did you catch that? She's overseeing transitions in administration. In other words, she's here for the firings. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> get that part. That's a fucking corporate way to say it. Because I was too busy not liking Sizemore and Googling All right, other so, things. But... But now that you say that, yes, that is what that means. It's pretty important, I think. Um, we move back to Bernard. He does some homework on hosts. He asks the computer how many first-generation hosts are there and how many designed by Arnold. 82 47. and 47, respectively. He wants a list of all the first-generation hosts that are still rotation in rotation. We do see Dolores. Scroll through and We there, do see Dolores obviously. is on there. Of course. She is a first-generation host. and She is still in rotation. Teddy and Man in Black, they're tied up. We see Teddy and Wyatt doing some shooting. You're right. I am a killer. Teddy goes wild. The man in black wants to flee, which I thought was interesting. But Teddy opens up with a Gatlin gun and he tells the man in black, you don't know me at all. So we get a nice action scene here with Teddy and he is just fucking dudes up. It's beautiful. Way to go, Teddy. You give it back to the man. This, to me, has a lot of implications going forward on a lot of storylines. Go for it. Why it was created as his ultimate bad guy. We give Teddy this backstory because he's always said he had unfinished business. And the backstory is that, you know, he's got to kill Wyatt. Wyatt was his friend. He went crazy and killed a bunch of people. And he's got to go find him now. Mm-hmm. Then we get this moment where these people are like, no, you helped Wyatt kill those people. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it on his own. We're like, okay. And then we see this, which is Teddy's memories of himself killing a shit ton of people with Wyatt. Yes. Couple so of Teddy's peas a in fucking a, bad guy. A couple of peas in the pod. Well, he is now the way he got upgraded. This is, this is, I love this. It's awesome. I love this. I was not expecting this at all. I thought Teddy was going to be the ho-hum hero on his way to save Dolores and kill Wyatt because Wyatt's a bad guy. And the best part is you can see Teddy like almost like being surprised as he's remembering this shit. I agree. That's James Marsden doing a great job here. I agree. It's fabulous. It, it, It strikes me as because of the way we know their memories work, it strikes me as almost it's surprising to him. It is. I agree. Like he had forgotten this thing, and now all of a sudden he it's, he, he killed all these people, it's, it's and brilliant. and that's why he you don't know me at all because he doesn't because Teddy didn't even know who Teddy was until now. These things are starting to come to the forefront. He's starting to realize the stuff that he's done. It makes me think of I don't know, like Buffy, like Angel on Buffy. I killed a bunch of people and stuff, and he didn't like remember at first, and then he was like a tortured soul. Whatever. I know it's not a great reference, but it's a pretty good reference actually. So Bernard and Elsie, I've identified the satellite. It's one of ours. It's a DLO satellite. The bicameral system. I think that is what they use to hack the woodcutter. The voices the hosts are hearing, I think someone is broadcasting to them. So I was wrong about that because my my theory was it was her own mind. She just didn't realize it because she wasn't involved enough yet. 
So I was wrong about that. They're literally using the bicameral mind to speak commands to her, or at least suggestions that are being followed. She tells him about an abandoned theater in Section 3. She's got to run off and investigate that. Yeah, she's got to go to the creepiest building in the whole park. I love it. Because we're going to make the shit scary. We go back to Ford and the boy. Ford wants to play catch with Jacques. The boy reveals that Jacques is dead. That's <gasps> going to come back in a minute. That's R. important. R.I.P. Jacques. I'm really not happy about this at all. Elsie at the theater. I'm an evil genius hiding a relay. Where the fuck do I hide it? She asks herself. She ends up finding the relay. Uh, Teresa and Bernard have a conversation. Bernard tells Tisa, uh, asks, Ooh, Tisa. What's, uh, Tisa, what's up? Um, what's up, Tisa? He doesn't trust Ford. I think you have reason for concern, Bernard finally says. Yeah, and before this, he's ignoring Elsie's phone calls, which is like the tropiest trope that I've ever seen on Westworld, like the horror movie trope. You send someone off to a scary location, they call you, you ignore their call. Yeah, we won't. Bernard doesn't know how scary the theater is. We do, because we've seen it. Yeah, well, he knows. He's probably like, oh, she's going to look for a relay, big deal. Again, we're, we can't, Bernard doesn't see what we see. But Teresa and Bernard are chatting. I think you have reason for concern. There is something going on here, something going on with his old partner, Arnold. Elsie calls. It was Teresa. Finally answers. I love this. This is a great moment, and this is kind of tropey, too. Like, we see this stuff in a lot, but it's still always I awesome. Love it. I love it. The idea of you're with someone, and someone calls you, and they're like, hey, I know who the serial killer is. It's, you yes. know, Billy Lomas, and he's your boyfriend standing right there. Is that his name in Scream? Lomas might not be his last name. I would be thinking about our super fans, Jamie and Karen. But anyway, you know what I mean. I love the mystery here. I love the thriller aspect of this. It's great. I love the visceral feeling of imminent threat. So in the chat, and this whole time, we've been saying a lot of different things. Um, Gracie says, are Bernard and Teresa working together? Um, Lone Star Kids says, I like that idea. Um, but Bernard did stop talking with Teresa when Elsie called. But maybe he stopped talking with Teresa. We don't know if he continued the conversation or what went on from there. We also don't right. know who went and grabbed Elsie. Perhaps he hung up with Elsie continued his talks with Teresa because he's not a host and he's working with Teresa and everything I've said already has been wrong. And then he goes and he scoops up Elsie. I guess that's possible too. Right. I'm okay with either theory. I like it. Yeah. Hunter in the chat. He may have said they're on to us. Yeah. Maybe that's what he said. Then he went and he just scooped her right up. Right. So maybe Bernard's not a host and he's not Arnold and everything I've ever said has been wrong. And I have a new theory. I don't have a theory. It's a chat's theory, but I like it. If yeah. my theory is wrong. It's okay. Um, so let's talk about Maeve. Felix shows her the personality matrix and all the attributes. Maeve wants to make some changes. You'd need a behavior login. So they say some things. You're going to need a behavior login. Any changes we make will be flagged. Maeve says that Felix says differently. Oh, no. You can activate and erase their memory all without anyone knowing. Lots of lonely young men down here. Supposed to keep their hands off the merchandise. Create something of an opening that I am sure you are eager to fill. It's all right. I'll forgo my cut in exchange for alterations. So we do know that these guys are engaged in activities. We know that Sylvester is. He talked about. Right. He's, he's joked about banging some redhead that's eager to please. We know he's not supposed to do that shit. That is not, that is against company policy. Everything Felix has done is against company policy. Both of these guys are in trouble. So they know that they can wipe memories. But what they don't understand is how the fuck are they? How the fuck is Maeve retaining memories? Right. That's why she's such a mystery to them. They don't understand it. They can't just wipe her memory. I know that there was some discussions about these alterations, but I guess we'll close with that. We'll come back to this. Okay. 
Elsie's findings. Teresa wasn't the only one. Someone had been retasking hosts. Several older models. There are serious modifications. Some to their prime directives. Maybe they could hurt us or guests. That's pretty fucking crazy. They can lie to us. Yes. Whatever argument Arnold was having, he wasn't done making his fucking point. I will send you the information. Bernard says, I'll be in my office. And I'm like, I kind of like Elsie right now. She's awesome. She's about to get killed. So Ford and the boy, talk to me about this. So Ford talks to Minnie Ford. He's going to meet with them. MF, I call him, Minnie Ford, which is kind of weird. They talk about Jock, and he says Jock died, and he doesn't know how. Hmm. And so he puts him into analysis mode. Analysis mode, Minnie Ford explains that Jock is going to kill this this rabbit, this cat, whatever. It's going to be a whole thing. So he said he killed him so he wouldn't become a killer. Yes. Arnold told him to. And... I wrote, holy shit. It was this not, is, it's not, it's not its fault. It was made that way and I can help it. This major fucking implications for was, the entire show. If it was dead, it couldn't hurt anybody. What are those major implications? Do tell. All we do is watch people come to Westworld and kill fucking hosts. Yes. There's going to be insurrection and a lot of fucking people are going to die. Yes. I concur. I concur because they're going to have the same conclusion that the boy does these people yes. are not going to hurt anybody because this kid made a decision to, well, remember. He's definitely pro-death penalty. He, <laughs> he made a decision. The host the host boy made a decision to kill the host animal. The host boy. That was going to kill another host animal. So we don't know how this will affect humans, but it seems pretty clear that it's going to affect humans. That's going to affect their interaction with the guests. Right. Elsie, here's something. And here's why I thought it could be Bernard, because she calls out for Bernard. Because my thing was this: before I watched it for a second time, I thought, okay, Bernard is way up in his his office. She went to some crazy abandoned theater. Who the fuck knows where? In her time that she was investigating, he fucking went out there and grabbed her from behind. Well, I thought that that seemed unrealistic until Elsie said Bernard question mark, which means she knows the layout of the park enough to know that he could have got there, so she did call out for him. She says Bernard, and then she says Arnold. And she gets grabbed. Because what if Bernard and Arnold are the same person, oh uh, guys? You know that was on purpose. Fucking hell. It's definitely Bernard who grabbed her. Or someone in the chat said maybe it was Stubbs, which I guess is possible too. And then somebody said they wanted Stubbs to punch Teresa. It was Lone Star Kid. He also said he wanted Bernard to punch Teresa earlier. He's very violent about Teresa. He's a violent man. Uh, Maeve, we're going to bring down loyalty and pain. But let's uh, let's get a bulk, uh, uh, what you say, apperception? Whatever it bulk is. Bulk apperception, yep. Take it all the way up, she says. That was fucking badass. That feeling she gets is amazing. It was orgasmic, it seemed. It was pretty awesome. Uh, the, the, the actual definition of apperception, if you don't know, the mental process by which a person makes sense of an idea by assimilating it in, to the body of ideas here she already possesses. Important. Hmm. So bulk apperception, take it all the way up. We got really cool music and boom. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the um, some of the naysayers on this scene who said, yes. why didn't they just drop her intel to zero yes. and wipe her out? I do. Okay. 
listen, armchair quarterbacks. Here's why you wouldn't do that. It's real super easy to sit on our little couches when our jobs aren't on the line, our lives aren't on the line, and say what we would do when all of a sudden a host woke up and remembered things like they weren't supposed to and threatened us and told us they had we had to change their programming. Right. Here's the problem. When you're in that situation, you might be like, holy fucking shit. She already is not following her fucking programming. Sure. How do you know what she can do and what she can't do? And I could see two lower level employees who probably make way more money than I do, but you know, their (laughs) version of minimum wage. Okay. These are the low paid people on the totem pole. They work for Westworld. They're doing all right. Okay. But they're still the lowest paid people at Westworld. They're nervous little children and they're like, holy shit. They're, they're just doing it in the moment. The thoughts that we're having, they're just not having. They're not having those thoughts. And I also think there's probably a part of it in Felix's perspective where he's like, well, what would happen if I did this? We've already seen he's interested in making shit happen and going against the grain a little with the bird. But I think more than that, it's literally just this host that is not supposed to have memories suddenly has memories and is waking up when it's not supposed to. And she says, do this for me. And they're like, holy fucking shit. We don't know what else to do. Right. Here's what I think. I like that a lot. Now. I think these guys, so what? what's the outcome? So let's just pretend, let's pretend for a minute that this is going to be the reality. Okay, I'm going to drop their perception to zero and knock her out. Then what? What are you going to do next? Are you going to try to, you got to do something with her, right? She's in a fucking storyline. She needs to get back into that narrative pretty quickly. What are you going to do? Wake her back up, bump her intel up and hope she doesn't remember. And then you guys all get fucking busted when she when she says, you guys betrayed me. You guys are in trouble now. You can't destroy her. You can't wipe her memory because we already know that, that that's, not, that's not effective. Memory wiping her doesn't work. You're going to hide her? Fuck no. She's an important part of narratives. People way above you in the chain of command are going to go, where the fuck's Maeve, assholes? You should patch her up and get her going. Yeah. Why'd you drop her intelligence? They're trying to just like get her back up and running so nobody comes and asks them questions. That's what they're trying to avoid. Yeah. Especially since she has information on them, which is bad information that's going to get them fucking fired which they don't want so like fuck it we'll just do our thing she keeps trying to the bargain we'll get her back up and going and just fucking wipe our hands of this and walk away and just be done with it and hope she can just go in her narrative and leave us the fuck alone because somebody's going to come looking for maven in a little while because she's got to get back into her goddamn narrative that's for sure that's why they couldn't just drop her intel knock her out what are they going to do wheel her and fucking hide her under the bed there's going to be people looking for her she's important to the show she's important to the theme park they can't just get rid of her anyway and as junk fist also pointed out that somebody else has also been messing with her storyline paranoia and self-preservation which is probably why she's fucking starting to remember shit correct and that was also a concern to them they don't want their fingerprints on Maeve and if they follow her commands, they bump up these things and they walk away. They can just hope, we'll just fucking hope whatever happens because they can't just alter them, you know, pull her intel down and, and hope nobody, they're going to be like, what the fuck's going on? If she goes back into her narrative and acts normal, then they're kind of out of the loop, at least for now. I think either way, these guys know in the long term, they're probably fucked with this thing. <laughs> so do they want to be fucked later or earlier? Because their right. fingerprints are on Maeve, Right. So if somebody else is messing with me that doesn't want to be found out, that might also buy them some time. I agree. All right. So that was awesome. Good shit. Maeve is the best. Uh, awesome episode of television. I really enjoyed it this I week. I agree. I do want to say one thing because it is fucking hilarious. Not allowed. 
I'm going to. In the, Just kidding. I'm going to anyway. In the in the chat, Junkfist says Stubbs is going down. It's, uh, Stubbs is doing his own investigation and nabbed her, probably rescuing her. They'll be buddying up in the dark, and he'll show her his dick, and she'll be like, "Not black enough." Boosh. Do I get? Or were you not listening? I was too busy noticing something in the um, Facebook. So Stubbs. So did you? Do you want to check that again? Do you want to try this again? Yeah. I was looking for my comment. Oh, you didn't have your comment <laughs> queued up. Well, yeah. you're going to read the email comment. Oh, I am? Am I? Is that what but I'm going to do? I just read it, and it All is right. funny. All right. Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we forget what I said? You're not going to... I just read it, and that. I didn't forget it. Okay. Are you going to cut this out of the show? No. Let's get to our listener comments. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Are you going to just read the email? Yep. Then you can go first. From Grace, who is in chat. Hello, Grace. Grace says... Hi, Grace. Absolutely love the callbacks to the 1973 film. The score selection, Yul Brenner's gunslinger in the background, the fact that the level is sealed off from standard personnel, perhaps because of past events, looks like the Westworld logo in the old computer system is the same as when William and Logan arrive at the park. So, looks like the story might be looking at two times the park failed, one past and one future simultaneously. Question, could it be that the man in black is actually Richard Benjamin's surviving character from the original film, question mark. Possible. Next, or as Dean named him, Shitty Freddie Mercury. Ah, oh, she remembered the Westworld podcast. That's awesome. Thanks for that, Grace. Uh, if the two characters are one and the same, it might explain why he gets VIP treatment and his, and his looking for a deeper meaning to the game. Perhaps he was persuaded to keep his mouth shut about the original breakdown somehow. That's awesome. That's pretty cool if they tie it into the film a little bit. I think that that would be really cool. I like your thoughts. Good shit, Grace. I love it. They did say, by the way, they mentioned the Yule Brenner thing. And as you know, I read the Entertainment Weekly interview yeah. um, with Nolan and Joy every week. And this week they asked specifically about if that was supposed to be Yule Brenner. And they said yes, but they didn't want to bring it to the forefront because they didn't want anybody to read anything into the Yule Brenner situation. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, but that's Yule Brenner. Um First of all, I just wanted to point out the thing that was distracting me, the comment, which is Anthony Johnson was the one talking about the um, that theory about Arnold being on the other side of Ford in the picture, and he posted the picture, and that's what distracted me as I was looking at the picture. Sweet. Okay, anyway, the comment I'm going to read is from Mike Hilger. Go. One of my least favorite storytelling techniques is forcing characters to either be willfully ignorant or withhold vital information from each other to further the plot. Two technicians give Maeve next-level intelligence out of fear, and they could easily lower her intelligence to zero and then decide what to do with her. Then Elsie goes on a search mission by herself to uncover these espionage secrets. There's, they, there seriously aren't one or two other people she trusts in the whole organization. Not to mention Bernard using the old ignore-phone-call technique when he knows she's in a perilous situation. And I know that if characters were always smart, there would be less conflict to make things interesting. But I also think you can just craft a story that has clever characters that are still outmatched by what's going on, as opposed to using two of the three stooges like this show currently is. <laughs> I think I've seen too many lazy shows rely on this kind of shitty storytelling and want more from Westworld. Having said all that, I think the show is interesting, so that it could be smarter at times and that all the mysteries are distracting us from its shortcomings. Boom. So I feel like we discussed his complaints with the show and gave our opinions on it, but I wanted to read his dissenting opinion against ours because I felt like it should be her. I concur and I agree. And I would glad. like us to be open to everyone. 
I agree with you. Oh, and also one more thing. Um, Mark Netter commented. Mm-hmm. Um, smart story construction. Ford is all powerful. So how to give him a strong and worthy opposition? His dead partner is the only one who can bring him down, mm-hmm. which I love. Sure. That whole idea is really brilliant to me. And I feel like we really saw that in this, that he is the all powerful God. Right. Except when it comes to Arnold, who he thought he was rid of, but he's not. Awesome. And that is an idea I really like. I do too. I want to take a minute to uh, just say thanks to Mark Netter. Mark Netter, um, he's a good dude. He's been on the show before. I actually, we had a discussion about a film he did called Nightmare Code, which he wrote and directed. Um, it starred Andrew J. West, who of course uh, was in The, the Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. Uh, May Melanson, I think I'm saying that right, and a few other people. It's worth checking out. Uh, it's an enjoyable film. I liked it. It's got some cool ideas. Uh, so please check out Nightmare Code. Uh, coming to you from one of our listeners who's kind of a big deal. Uh, he did the film Nightmare Code, which came out in 2014. And he also has some pretty valid Westworld opinions, and I like to discuss things with him. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. I think um, that's it for our listener comments. Final thoughts this week, Jessica? I really like this episode. I'm excited to see where we're going to go from here. I know I say that every week, and you I do. still feel like I haven't quite gotten the one big reveal I'm waiting on. Um, perhaps we're still a little early for that in the show, um, but I still feel like it's coming any second and I'm waiting for it and I'm still excited for it and I don't feel like I've been dragged on too long. Um, I was starting to feel that way in episode four and the past two episodes have really turned that around for me. Um, so yeah, this was a great episode of television and the fact that this show is so much Dolores's story and there's been so much given to what Dolores is doing, what William is doing, so much time and energy I've given to it with this whole man in black thing for me to be able to sit and watch an episode where I didn't have to worry about whether that theory was true or false or anything was actually really nice. <laughs> so I kind of like that. Sometimes maybe I need them to not be in the episode <laughs> for my sanity. I like it. I thought that this was a great episode. I thought Maeve was awesome. A lot of things happened where really, uh, it's a real wild ride. I love watching this show. I love sitting down to watch it every week, even though it's confusing, even though there's a lot going on, even though they haven't answered all their questions. I think they're going to, at least for the storylines presented in season one, by the end of it, I have a lot of faith in Mr. Nolan. I think he's going to he's gonna take care of business. Um, I thought that the Maeve scene was great. Uh, I liked everything out of Maeve this week. I like her manipulation of those men. That's her specialty. Um, I like that she is uh, somebody who is getting to the bottom of things uh, about her own existence. And I thought that her upstairs tour was breathtaking. Uh, good good TV. And I look forward to uh, future, to what the future holds for Westworld, as I always do. Uh, it continues to intrigue me, continues to make me want to turn in. And I continue to care about these characters. Their fates matter to me. Um, I don't find myself tuning out and I am enjoying everything that I am watching. And uh, I think that is all I really have to say. Jessica, would you like to say anything to these good people before we go? No, I'm just sorry because I know there's nothing else to do tonight and I don't know how you guys are going to make it through. I guess everyone can just go to bed now. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much for tuning in to Without Limits, a Westworld podcast by LSG Media. You guys have a great night. Mm -hmm.